1: Events in the U.S. and here have recently prompted perhaps an unprecedented conversation about the role of police in society. It's not something anyone has all the answers for, but in the search for solutions, we've got a smart bunch assembled to shed light on all of it for us. And so, as is our custom here on the agenda, we introduce our guests from furthest away to closest to our station, beginning in Calgary, Alberta, with Chad Haggerty, formerly an RCMP officer, currently a student at law with Craig Hooker Shiskin Criminal Defense. In London, Ontario, Stephen Williams, Chief of the London Police Service. And here in the provincial capital in downtown Toronto, Akwasi Owusu Bempa, Assistant Professor in the Department of Sociology at the University of Toronto, And in the Witchwood neighborhood, here in Midtown Toronto, Farida Adam, staff lawyer at the Black Legal Action Centre. And it's good to welcome all of you onto TVO tonight. And uh, Chief Williams, you won't be surprised to hear that I want to start with you. It's been about four months since the killing of George Floyd in Minnesota that launched a, a kind of a racial reckoning around policing. Do you think the role of the police since then has changed? And if so, how?
2: Well, that's a good question. I'm not so sure the, the role of the police per se has changed in the last several months. Uh, certainly the conversation has started into what we should, uh, could or, or shouldn't be doing. I think there's always going to be a need for those core services provided by, by police services uh, with relation to crime prevention. Law enforcement, emergency response, things like that. Uh, that's what the community expects, and that's what we're legislated to provide to to uh, citizens. Uh, but the conversation is clearly about those gray areas. So we've talked a lot about mental health, homelessness, addiction, issues like that, which is which is a bit of a gray area. Um, we are in many communities across the province and and across the country the only 24/7 response. When people need assistance and quite often when our officers attend uh, calls for service these uh, issues are at play and police may not always be the most appropriate response so that's where the conversation is heading is to how we can more effectively deal with these issues that uh, intersect with with criminal justice but may not be a a criminal justice problem
1: and i do want to follow up on that part of the conversation but before we get there uh, one thing surely has changed And that is, I think you, we've been doing this program 15 years. You may be the first active police officer on this program, not in uniform. Uh, I think every chief we've had on in the past has always wanted to wear the uniform. And interestingly enough, you chose not to today. How come?
2: Well, interesting question. Um, You know, I'm aware of the the uniform and I take a lot of pride in what the uniform means to myself as a 28-year officer and uh, what it represents for policing, which I'm very proud of. Uh, but I know the uniform is also uh, not always um, perceived in that light by many others. And uh, one thing that uh, I message to, to my staff and out in the community is that, you know, we're human beings, we're citizens, and uh, we're regular people as well. So, you know, it's okay to show that. And sometimes the way that manifests is, is wearing a suit or wearing uh, you know civilian clothing and uh so that's that's part of the decision but uh by no means am i not proud of the uniform and uh, i i do i do wear it uh on a almost daily basis
1: not, not the most important question i'm going to ask tonight but i thought it was uh interesting an interesting choice on your uh, behalf which is why i just wanted to touch on it for a moment chad you're the uh, only other former uh, officer here with us uh, this evening and so uh, let me go to you second uh, you heard the chief give uh, a bit of a list there of things that are being rethought right now, how the police do what they do. Do you think, generally speaking, we ask the police to do too much?
3: Absolutely. I think that police officers are going into situations that they don't have the proper training for. Um, in many instances, dealing with uh, those individuals who are suffering with mental health issues or addictions issues, um, other life issues that that aren't... Um, generally in the purview of 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 police officer duties or shouldn't be they currently are Um, and there are things as the chief said that police officers need to do and only police officers can do Um, in the last four months we've had a lot of talk about defunding police and limiting what they do and using some of the police budget to fund other agencies to do things that they should be doing Um, We haven't seen any substantive change in any police force across Canada. They're still trying to maintain, uh, you know, the the sphere of influence that they have. Farida, I'll go
1: to you next. We have, as Chad rightly just suggested, we've heard efforts to have the police reformed. We've heard efforts to have the police defunded. We've even had, in some circumstances, efforts to have the police abolished entirely. Which path uh, are you inclined to be on?
4: You know, I think from our perspective, when we're talking about dealing with what's happening to the Black community and the Indigenous community in terms of uh, Black death, the loss of Black life, I think the Black Legal Action Centre is closer to the spectrum of transforming the, the uh, policing as we know it in this province. So that. Does include defunding the police, meaning taking resources away from the police and investing them in agencies um, who may be better equipped to do um, And I think part of that also includes reimagining police. So it's not just about militarizing. It's not about dismantling. It's also about thinking about our relationship with each other and getting to the roots of how we address things like crime. What are our concepts of justice? What are our concepts of fairness? Um, and so, yeah, from the Black Legal Actions perspective, it's, it's a bus conversation, but we definitely uh, adhere to the defund position.
1: Akwasi, maybe you could follow up on that and help us understand what we mean, because I have certainly heard uh, activists say we need to defund the police as a means of punishing them. Uh, In other words, taking away responsibilities from them. On the other hand, I have heard the expression defund the police used, meaning the police just are not the best people to carry out this function. And therefore, we need to take that money not to punish police, but to more appropriately spend it on others who can better perform those tasks. Help us understand what your understanding of what all of this means.
0: Well, I think we're hearing all of the things that you've said and more. And I particularly appreciate a term that uh, one of my colleagues kind of lended to me, which is actually detasking the police. I think, you know, what we've acknowledged at the uh, is that the police are doing too much um, and that their their budgets reflect that. And we want to take away some of those tasks. And importantly, we know that When we have the police engage in activities that they're not the best organization or institution to engage in, we have a number of negative consequences that might flow from that. One being the criminalization of people that might not otherwise be criminalized. So we can think about this in the context of homelessness with respect to drug use when we've got um, police in schools, but also, of course, in relation to the use of force as well. So uh, I particularly like, I'm using the term and in the work that I'm doing in the area, use um, detasking the police, which recognizes that we're going to you know, take some of the tasks away from the police, and that there will be a corresponding reduction in the police budget to go along with that. And this isn't new. This has been acknowledged by the Canadian Associations of Chiefs of Police. Um, this has been acknowledged by the, the Canadian government and in other Western nations long before the current conversations around defunding the police emerged as they have now.
1: Chief Williams, given the way that it has just been described by Akwasi, are you on side with that kind of transformation?
2: Well, I love the word detask. And, uh, you know, our last speaker was quite correct that it has been discussed about at the CACP level and in the Ontario Association, Association of Chiefs of Police level um, provincially. And, uh, you know, mental health is a really good example of a, of a file that the police did not ask for. But, uh, again, as the only, uh, quite often, the only 24-7 response, uh, it falls into our lap and uh, we have said for a number of years that uh, police are not the always the appropriate agency to respond to many of these calls Um, with adequate support from the provincial level uh, then maybe these calls wouldn't uh, wouldn't come to us in the first place Um, but as it sits right now many of these calls for service uh, from what we hear through our community partners you know there is still a role for the police uh, often to attend in some capacity not always but but often there is and uh that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a police-led response though so you know the partnerships with with the community uh, and the uh you know a health-led response for many of these calls for service is entirely appropriate and that's that's the direction we need to head in and uh we would hope that that would uh, result in corresponding savings within our budget as our officers are are uh you know, redeployed to those core policing needs that I spoke about.
1: Kwasi, let me come back to you on the quest for consensus here. You know, in the days after the George Floyd, well, killing, murder, call it what you want, in the days after that, uh, the Minneapolis City Council actually voted to defund the police significantly. And uh, there seemed to be a consensus around that among activists, the community, and the political leadership at the time. Uh, You you have subsequently seen in the last few weeks a a significant attempt by the Minneapolis Council to reverse its decision, uh, saying that they made the decision in haste or they didn't quite understand the full implications of what they were suggesting, Um, all of which is to say this clearly is more complicated than at first blush. I want to know from you where you see overlapping interests between police, community, political leadership? Do you see a sweet spot of consensus anywhere?
0: Well, I think the consensus should be that all of those parties play a role in fostering, you know, public and community safety. Uh, and I think the decision to roll back, you know, the the reduction in, in the proposed cuts was simply a, a fact of not having examined the situation closely enough. You know, here in Toronto, uh, we had a motion before city council to defund the, the police by 10%. And uh, while I'm fully in support of a reduction in funds, I think that this needs to be done in a sensible manner. And as a social scientist, I would first want to see you know, exactly what it is that the police are doing that they shouldn't be and what agencies are there to fill that void or which need to be created. And in order to do that, we'd need to examine police calls for service. We'd need to examine the budgets. And until we do that and we do a bit of asset mapping to see what is out there to fill this void, we can't just, you know, ad hoc or, 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 or at whim, Uh, decide to cut a police budget by 25 or 50%. The goal should be a reduction in those budgets. And as I've said, uh, the removal of some of the tasks and functions, but we need to do this in a sensible, a thoughtful and careful manner so as not to further, um, you know, uh, jeopardize public and community safety.
1: Farida, can I get your view on that, on whether it's possible to find uh, a consensus among political leadership, community leadership, police leadership? Is that doable?
4: I think it's doable if we center the people who are being disproportionately impacted by police brutality and violence. So if we start there and say we are talking about transforming the system, not only in terms of policing, uh, folks, as we understand it traditionally, but including child welfare, including having police officers in schools, if we're saying we're starting with a lens that focuses on Indigenous communities, that focuses on Black communities, I think that we can start with, we can come to a consensus there. So if we start from a position of care, then we can sort of think about what sustainably and intelligently can we do in order to address some of these issues meaningfully.
1: Chad, I need to get you to weigh in on this, because of course we do hear some voices that say abolish the police altogether and we hear other voices saying that's ridiculous Uh, you know when there's a break-in at your home you got to call somebody where do you find the sweet spot of consensus with two such divergent views
3: I think I I think it's important to, to realize that as everybody seems to agree there is a role for police in society one of the things that we're overlooking is the conversation can't be a fair conversation until police have appropriate oversight at present police budgets are hidden from view police leadership and management hidden from view police police acts across canada including the rcmp act federally need to be revamped and changed so that the average public person the the average citizen has the ability to examine what the police officers are doing as has been said until we open up and see exactly what police officers are up to this isn't a fair conversation
1: chief williams do you think there's inadequate oversight
2: of the police activities well i've certainly heard that uh, those comments before but i can tell you that policing in ontario specifically is um, probably one of the most uh, uh, overseen uh, public bodies uh, there is Um, several levers levels of oversight and uh scrutiny and uh you know the the police chiefs have never denied the need for that and we accept the uh the scrutiny that comes with uh being a a professional uh policing service um it's a slow process quite often the oversight and we've heard a lot about the special investigations unit and the length of time their investigations take but uh you know there is quite a bit of oversight
1: I I would like, uh, I guess, Farida to weigh in on that as well. There is, in fact, the SIU, the Special Investigations Unit. Um, You know, you could complain to the ombudsman as well. Uh, Do you think there's adequate oversight of the police in this province?
4: You know, I, I don't think so. Um, especially, you know, from our perspective, we have a, the Black Legal Action Center offers legal services for folks who have complaints against the police. The majority of our files are related to excessive use of force. And so when our clients come to us, essentially what they're doing is they're saying, let's go to the OIPRD, the Office of the Independent Investigative uh, Director. So the OIPRD is supposed to um, hold police officers accountable based on the police officer's code of conduct. And oftentimes, if there is something found to be inappropriate, it's referred back to the police service to investigate themselves. And so although there are mechanisms to hold police officers accountable um, broadly, the question is, how is that done? And so there is a a perspective, I think, that feels as though um, police officers are holding themselves accountable. And so the question would be, is that meaningful? Is that real accountability?
1: And your answer is no. No. Akwasi, what's your answer on that?
0: Yeah, I think we're very fortunate in in Canada and Ontario to have the structures in place that we do at the moment. But I think in in some respects, uh, the institutions that we have to foster police don't necessarily have enough teeth or power. Uh, They're not always staffed by the right individuals. Uh, And I think we still put too much onus on police services themselves to, you know, bring cases to, for example, the SIU, the the case of DeFonte Miller, very recently here in the GTA being case in point one in which uh, an egregious beating of a young black man came to the attention of the police service um, that the officer involved worked for. And that service did not bring the case to the SIU. So I think, you know, we have a, a good structure in place, but there's work that could be done in this respect in this province and this country.
1: Okay, let me uh, steer our conversation now to how uh, going forward police might be doing things differently. And Chief Williams, I'll start with you again on this one. Uh, If there's one area uh, which, you know, we hear from the police that they acknowledge they're not the best at and that they might need help at, um, it's trying to deal with uh, mental health crises. Can you tell us whether or not over the past year, let's say, the London Police Service has responded to mental health crises in ways different now than they might have five or ten years ago.
2: Well, I think we're seeing a change, um, but it's, it's a slow evolution, but it's a very important evolution. So just to give you a bit of context, we respond to approximately 3,000 uh, mental crisis calls a year in my community. And about 750 times per year, our officers apprehend an individual Uh, under the provisions of the Mental Health Act, and uh, that's not uh, something they choose to do or want to do, but quite often they're the only uh, service available, as I've alluded to, and they're forced into a position but that's not always the most appropriate response. Anytime somebody is apprehended, then that presents a situation for potential conflict and potential use of force. And let me first say that most of those incidents are resolved peacefully. They are in fact de-escalated and uh, the public often doesn't hear about them, but there are some that do not turn out well and those are the ones that, uh, that people hear about. Having said that, what we're moving towards to in London and other communities, uh, several have as well, is a co-response model where some of our officers are partnered with a mental health practitioner from the community. Uh, both uh, the officer and the, the mental health profession would have some specialized training and they would intervene in those calls for service that may not require a police-led response. They may require police presence or that that to be among the menu of options. But it's really a health-led or a community-led response and our goal is to divert divert those individuals who are in crisis away from the criminal justice system away from situations where they need to be apprehended towards more appropriate community-based responses and the ultimate goal is to prevent the call from service from occurring in the first place so the real question is not what we can do for the person at the time but what, what could have been done a week ago a month ago to prevent that call for service for coming, from coming in. So that's that's the proactive component of the model that I'm talking about. So that's the change that uh, we're moving towards in, in London, and I think it's very important in, in the evolution of policing. Chad, a co-response. How do you like the sounds
1: of that?
3: I do like the sound of that. A co-response, uh, when I was policing, we, we took that approach uh, with social services in various scenarios. One of the things that... Uh, um, the term detasking has been used. I'll go back to defunding. Uh, the chief talks about proactive things. What could have been done a week ago or a month ago? Uh, stripping police budgets, which are in every jurisdiction by far the largest budget a municipality has to deal with, stripping those budgets back to their core, well, that will provide the funding to allow social services agencies to come in and be proactive. I appreciate the chief's position. I appreciate the initiatives that they're doing. But if he truly wanted to contribute to proactive uh, uh, things in the community that would address these issues, uh, finding ways to cut his budget back so that other agencies can be properly funded would be a great thing to do.
1: Well, Chad, let me just follow up with you, because if we're talking about a co-response where a police officer shows up, maybe in a supporting or backup role to a mental health professional it still sounds like you need that officer on that job, and that presumably means you can't defund. Have I got that wrong?
3: Uh, To some degree. So the way it would work now, and the chief can obviously correct this, but uh, when there's a call for service now, if it's not a cooperative response, you would have multiple officers responding. and generally from an officer safety point of view, if you're going to something where there's potential for an escalation in in the physical interaction, um, multiple officers will attend. If things change and we get to the point where we don't need a police officer to attend, um, then we can look at defunding. Uh, ambulance calls for service, very often have police backup if it's a volatile situation. But there's a, there's a process by which Um, call receivers can can undertake risk management and determine whether or not police officers need to attend the call. We could do the same thing in mental health calls.
1: Okay, Farida, let me follow up with you on that. If, in fact, the police officer is still needed to play a supporting role to a mental health professional as both co-respond to a crisis, where's the opportunity for defunding the police in that scenario?
4: Well, defunding the police is really an intelligent process in which you're assessing who is best equipped to deal with a particular issue. So there is going to be some risk assessment at the upfront. So you're going to have to assess the call, assess what the person's calling for, what the needs are, and whether or not you need an emergency response. Now, it could be that you need an emergency response and and we can talk about later um, what an emergency response would look like in a defund model. But that doesn't... uh, take away the possibility of defunding defunding from our perspective actually um, asks us to ask those hard questions on the upfront so why is this person calling what kinds of threats are they posing if at all and who is best equipped to deal with it
1: okay i take your point in which case i mean let's follow it up right now uh, a different kind of emergency response the likes of which you imagine as opposed to what's happening right now what does that look like in your world
4: Well, for us, it looks like um, it's kind of similar to what we have in terms of these mobile crisis early intervention teams that already. Um, go around. They're not twenty four seven. They're essentially mental health nurses who accompany police officers. Police officers are still the first responders, and from our perspective, that's part of the issue. Um, you know, I think about Regis Korczynski Paquette, and I wonder if you had a mental health nurse respond as opposed to officers who are armed, multiple officers who are armed, would that uh, outcome would have would that have been different for Miss uh, Paquette? Um, And I think the answer is potentially yes. Um, So I I think that, you know, sometimes when we talk about defunding police, folks think that it's sort of like a a sort of messy, sloppy process when it's really about looking at police budgets, seeing where those funds are allocated and seeing if they can be better funded and better allocated um, in the hope of preserving Black life and Indigenous life. And so um, I envision an emergency response team that is not, completely uh, different from what we have now, but just removing the police officer as being the first responder, I think that that would go a long way in terms of building some community trust and faith um, when someone calls and they're in a crisis.
1: Just before I get others to comment on that, we we should just by way of background say uh, the Korchinsky Paquette situation was a woman in crisis in Toronto's West End who ran out onto her balcony and in an attempt to jump to another balcony, ...didn't make it and tragically fell to her death. I think the police would want me to say that the family called the police in. The police were there because the family called them in. And there, I, I guess there is some kind of debate, maybe a quasi come in here on this, there may be some kind of debate as to whether or not the presence of uniforms exacerbated the situation. Uh, there, there was an investigation of it and there was no suggestion at all that the police played any role in her death. Now, that's the official story. quasi, if you want to pick it up and make your comments, now's the time.
0: So, of course, recent uh, events here in Toronto um, in relation to people in mental health crisis and also uh, instances of social unrest. The presence of police officers with uniforms, uh, with guns, uh, with their vehicles can certainly uh, exacerbate situations and, and lead to uh, death, perhaps as they did in the uh, Regis kachitsky uh situation. But I think one of the things that we need to acknowledge here that hasn't yet been discussed is the preventative um, aspect of this detasking and defunding conversation because basically we've got ourselves into the situation we're in now with the police responding to so many different types of social problems precisely because funding has been cut from other social areas right mm-hmm. mental health homelessness um youth programming and so by taking the funds away from the police and giving them back to those other social institutions organizations and agencies The hopes would also be that that would have a preventative effect so that the police wouldn't actually need to respond to, nor would another agency need to respond to, so many mental health crises, so many people experiencing homelessness, um, to, to, to issues related to drug use and the likes, because there would be less presence of that in our society and on our streets at the front end rather than the back end, which is largely what the police end up doing.
1: You're talking about upstream versus downstream problems, and and I totally take your point, which takes us back to Chief Williams. Uh, As we consider detasking the police services of this province, Chief Williams, uh, maybe put this on the table. What are the things that we absolutely need the police to do for which there are no other
2: alternative agencies or services in your view? Well, i think it goes back to the core responsibilities of police services which is legislated and a lot of it's pretty obvious it's it's law enforcement it's emergency response crime prevention uh, assisting victims and things like that and the police officers in ontario are very very well trained and very well equipped to do these things and by and large do an amazing job they serve their communities well and the vast majority of incidents like like i've indicated are resolved peacefully and the resolve resolved professionally. And uh, we have to keep that in mind. So those core core services are still required. And uh, you know, anytime we do any type of public survey, we consistently receive uh, that information that they they want the police presence in neighborhoods for that preventative uh, sense and that safety and security feeling, and they want us to have the ability to respond 24/7 when when somebody calls 911. And I think that will forever remain, and that's what what the the communities want. Um, so it's the other areas that we talked about the the health issues the homelessness issues that fall upon the police again because quite often nobody else is answering the call in many communities and uh, we do need to to detask the police of those issues
1: we're about four minutes to go here and Farida let me get you to follow up on that do you agree with Chief Williams list of what we absolutely positively at a bare minimum need the police to do in this province on a day-to-day basis
4: You know, I I respectfully disagree. I think that, you know, from our perspective, this conversation is not just about defunding, but reimagining policing. I think the question that we have to ask ultimately is, can we imagine a society where we do have community policing, we have public safety, but in a way that is done where we don't have armed police officers who are involved in the sense that they are responding to things that um, they may not be equipped to do? So, from our perspective, it's not just about defunding, it's about reimagining policing. And I think that there is a difficulty in reimagining policing because we live in a society that is predicated in many ways in looking to police uh, in times of crises. And so what we're asking people to do is think about alternatives. Are there alternative models that we can look to other jurisdictions that we can look to where policing is happening um, in a way that uh, folks aren't uh, potentially in in harm's way? I think of the UK. I think of jurisdictions where police officers aren't armed, for example, that is one step to that uh, in that conversation to progress that conversation.
1: Chad Haggerty, does that suggestion, as, as part of a reimagined police package, does that make
3: sense to you? Absolutely, absolutely. Ms. Adam hit the nail on the head. Um, Chief William came in, wasn't wearing his uniform, because he understands that that creates a, a certain response. Uh, yet, when he's asked how should we detask, he lists essentially everything that police do now. Um, when police try to reimagine policing. They imagine it in the same in the same context that it always has been: uh, civilian oversight, civilian interaction, and civilian direction is something that we need to seriously consider and begin doing.
1: Stephen Williams, can you imagine your officers doing their jobs without
2: carrying firearms? Well, unfortunately, I don't think that's that's feasible right now, given given the way the legislation is and the calls for service that they're required to. To, uh, to attend to. Um, we have a number of officers who are not in uniform and, and the mental health model that I spoke about, we didn't get into the details, but uh, does not involve uniform officers. So we're very alive to, to that issue. But uh, I think you know uh, the reality is, is that there are, there are weapons on the streets there are, there are criminals on the streets who, who the, the public expects us to deal with when, when we're called. And uh, police officers need to be trained and equipped to do so. That doesn't mean that other officers can't do uh, crime prevention functions and, you know, education and awareness and, and proactive work. And that's happening now. Uh, Kwasi and here, uh, can you imagine
1: a reimagined police service where weapons are not carried?
0: Uh, I can. Not carried by all officers, perhaps even in the United Kingdom, there are, of course, rapid response teams that are armed and they do at times, and it's much more rare than in Canada, uh, end up shooting individuals, some of whom are also themselves unarmed. But I do think, and I, you know, we had this conversation a year and a half or so ago, I think we need to drastically re- reimagine how we engender public safety, community safety, and what policing is. Policing is something that has existed within our societies now for millennia. And, you know, the policing that we have now is a product of our time. It does not have to be a product of our future. And I think we need to think as communities, uh, as societies and as institutions about how we moving forward in gender public safety in a way that includes some kind of law enforcement agency, but also, I think, puts greater emphasis on other social institutions, organizations, and importantly, on us as citizens in a society.
1: I want to thank Akwasi Owusu-Bempa from the U of T, Farida Adam. From Black Legal Action Centre, Stephen Williams, the Chief of Police for the City of London, and Chad Haggerty, the former RCMP officer, now a student at law, uh, for a really smart and civilized discussion here on TVO tonight. Thanks so much, all four of you.
0: you. Thank you. Thank you. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Ontario. CPA Ontario is a regulator, an educator, a thought leader, and an advocate. We protect the public. We advance our profession. We guide our CPAs. We are CPA Ontario. And by viewers like you. Thank you.